You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. And we're going to be a little all over the place today. A lot of very different topics that we're going to talk about in our three segments of the show. We're going to start with some recognition for Jesse Bates from some lists on NFL.com and ProFootballFocus.com, PFF.com. We're going to talk a little bit about the tight ends in attendance at the George Kittle and Travis Kelsey tight end camp, both of the Bengals' top two tight ends in attendance there. And Take a little bit of a look at the tight end room as training camp is just a few weeks away. We're going to wrap up with a little bit of an overview of the Bengals salary cap situation. During last week's mailbag, Bob Sacramento at Cotton Dockers 9 asked about the cap situation, how much space is left, how much will be eaten up by extensions. And given all of that, could they have done those extensions and signed Carl Lawson and Trey Hendrickson? The answer to that question is probably no, but we'll get there a little bit later in the show. Let's start, however, with the Jesse Bates stuff, James, because there's a mixed bag here. On the one hand, there's a snub. I think there's a snub. PFF has done a top 50 list and expanding on the top 50 list. They did another piece today. Sam Modson put up with 12 players that just missed the cut. According to Sam, Jesse Bates is not one of the top 62 players in the NFL. In those top 62 players, that were discussed either in the top 50 or in the next 12 that missed. There were a couple of other safeties, notably Minka Fitzpatrick and Derwin James, both of those guys apparently seen as better safeties than Jesse Bates, who was PFF's best safety in 2020. So go figure. But also, and I think more unforgivably, Kyle Pitts showing up as a borderline top 50 player in the NFL before he's played a snap. I get that the guy has a great scouting report and looked fantastic at Florida, but what are we doing putting rookies on the list against guys that had the best season at their position, according to your own grades last year, Sam? I don't really get that from PFF. And that's the part that I'm baffled by, right? If he's this darling and Jesse Bates and he's put up the, you know, these crazy numbers and graded at at over a 90 and was their top ranked safety, How do they, when they use that, that's what they're using. They're about metrics. This isn't about feelings or big names or, you know, cloud or resume. It's, it's about what you graded at. And the dude had the best overall season at the safety position last year, according to pro football focus. And that same guy isn't in their top 62 players. That doesn't make sense to me because I guarantee you he was one of the top 62 graded players last season. Now, That being said, I think that this just kind of goes hand in hand with the all pro snub. He was a second team all pro, not a first team, even though to me probably could have been a first team. Didn't make the Pro Bowl. He's on the outside looking in about that. Those are things and accolades that are going to come if he continues to play better and better. And uh, there's no reason to think that he can't. He's only 24 years old. I don't think that 2020 was his peak. And that's the good news. So, yeah, it stinks he's not in the top 50 or even top 62, as you put it, Jake, at the same time. 
And I don't even think this is a motivating factor for him, by the way. But I think that he's still growing as a player. And the the way Bengals fans view him after last season, I think a lot of people across the league will, will share that same belief if he continues to grow and continues to become an even better player. The eternal struggle of Bengals players to get recognition, right? Jesse Bates, the latest one in the list, even with Joe Burrow on the team, those guys on the defensive side of the ball, not necessarily getting the attention that we would like to see them get. But Jesse Bates did get some props. He's on the PFF top 25 under 25. And here's where same author, by the way, Sam Monson has some inconsistencies in methodology because on this list, he's got Jesse Bates 11th, which is really good. 11th best player under 25 in the NFL. But when you look at his top five, he's got Lamar Jackson, number two. He's got Nick Bosa, number four and Jair Alexander, number five. In the PFF top 50, Jair Alexander is like a top 15 player. Nick Bosa is like 10 spots lower despite being higher on this top 25 under 25 list. And Lamar Jackson isn't even in the top 50. So despite being number two on top 25 and 25 doesn't show up in the top 50. Both of these written by the same guy. So I don't know what the methodology is here. Clearly some some differences, right? Different methodology between those two things. But in addition to that, we've also got the all under 25 team. And this is from NFL.com and Jesse Bates and Minka Fitzpatrick, both 24 years old are the two all under 25 safeties for the NFL.com piece, which was put together by Nick Shook. And that's fair. Minka's a beast. And when I, I look at the PFF list and I'm like, oh, well, Bates should be on it. And you see some of these other safeties. I'm not trying to take anything away from them. Derwin James, when healthy, is a freak. There's no denying that. At the same time now, uh, I'm glad the NFL.com piece came out. And, and Nick did a good job of uh, a pretty solid list, I thought. And it's one of those things now where, again, I'm trying to be optimistic here. Bates gets his recognition on this list. But hopefully a year from now, we're talking about Jamar Chase on this list and T. Higgins on this list and, and some of these younger guys that the Bengals are hoping to to build around th that they raise their level of play in Higgins's case and takes a step forward and Chase just hits the ground running because Justin Jefferson was on the list, right? I mean, it, it's not crazy to think that a second year receiver could be on this list a year from now with a big rookie campaign. And, uh, and so that was... The exciting part about this for me, not only does Bates get his recognition, but you can easily see the path where a couple of these other guys are also on these uh, top 25 under 25 lists next season. The struggle is going to be unseating the guys for Jamar yeah. Chase that are already yeah. there, right? Because A.J. Brown's 23. Justin Jefferson's 22. D.K. Metcalf's 23. Those are the three receivers on the list, and they're just going to be 24 next year, right? It's not like they're getting older. Wide receiver, just a very, very stacked position right now in the NFL, but it is nice to see Jesse Bates get some praise on these two lists. I am still just perplexed with the PFF stuff, but neither here nor there. Maybe we'll ask Sam about it one day. The inconsistency, the, the difference of methodology, perhaps, between these two lists. I think that goes to show you that there's a lot of opinion in this writing that there must be, this isn't simply looking at their grades and trying to project things. They're, they're definitely using some human judgment informed by their grades, I think, and their advanced stats. But I, I, 
always, whenever I bring up a PFF number, because I really like their numbers, they tend to be, when you look at the stats, especially comparing apples to apples, I always like to say, you know, take it with a grain of salt, not the be all end all, but an interesting piece of data. Nonetheless, in these opinion pieces, not too much to get worked up about, in my opinion, because I think very much so these are opinion pieces. I'm reading the PFF top 50 right now, and it says it's a projection of what we think will happen, not a reaction to 2020. So a lot of a lot of projection going in to the top 50, which, of course, invites a lot of opinion and a lot of divergence from what we saw last year. Coming up next, James, let's talk tight ends. Tight end university, the counterpart to offensive line masterminds and and Von Miller's pass rush summit. Now we've got a tight end university going on with a whole lot of tight ends around the NFL and both of the Bengals top two guys out there participating and learning from the best tight ends in the NFL. We'll talk tight end coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, whether it's baseball with Major League Baseball in full swing or at the NBA playoffs as we tick, 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 count the minutes until the NBA finals. Get all of the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs in one spot. BetOnline.ag. Get off the sidelines, get in on the action, and yes, you can bet on the Bengals and prop bets, including Joe Burrow and his comeback player of the year chances. So go to betonline.ag right now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code locked on. Again, betonline.ag, promo code locked on. You're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You know who's going to win. You're watching the games anyway. Take advantage of this. Get the free money with promo code locked on at betonline.ag. Betonline, your online sportsbook experts. The Bengals are banking on two familiar faces to lead the tight end room in 2021. C.J. Uzama, who gave one of the the better news conferences of OTAs earlier this month. And then Drew Sample, who, despite being a a second-round pick and overdrafted in some people's eyes, I thought put together a decent year last year. And the the one cool thing uh, about them going to tight end university, like you mentioned, Jake, is the Bengals didn't make any significant additions to the tight end room. In Thad Moss, I get it. He's a big name, and he's got uh, because of his his father and what he did at LSU with Joe Burrow. I'm not expecting him to make a huge splash here. I think if the Bengals' tight end room is going to be good, it's up to Sample and Uzama to get there. And one, I think it's really cool that they were able to go and participate. One, because Uzama coming off of a torn Achilles, the fact that he's already 100% is awesome. And two, I still think Sample has some uh, areas he can grow in and and be better than what we've seen so far. And so I was pleased to see both of those guys working with 49 tight ends, by the way, at uh, tight end university over the weekend. What a cool event. Yeah, the news for me was that Drew Sample was out there. I knew CJ Uzama was out there. We had heard that. I I had seen lists of some of the guys out there and Uzama's name was on the list and Sample's wasn't. But there are clearly photos of Sample out there and anything those two guys can glean from some of the greats in the NFL, any refinement to their game that comes out of this summit. And I really like these summits that the various position groups are doing around the league. I think it's really cool. And I I think that it's only going to make players better. Anything that they can take away from that will be a, a boon for the Bengals. But I think it does lead James to the the broader conversation about the tight end group 
which really is those two guys. The Bengals, though, don't use two tight end a ton. There's not necessarily a ton of instances for this team where they put two tight ends on the football field last year. 76% of their snaps, which I believe I'm looking at uh, sharpfootballstats.com for this, by the way, is by far, by 3%, the highest frequency of three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end. That's 11 personnel on the field in the NFL. And they were in 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers, just 15% of the time. Not the lowest in the NFL by any means. New England, just 2%. And then they go out and sign a couple tight ends. I wonder why. But certainly on the lower end of the spectrum. You go back to week one, though. That was the only week that both CJ Uzama and Drew Sample were healthy. CJ Uzama played 49 snaps out of 68 that week. And Drew Sample played 24 out of 68 that week. That tells you that there's a little bit of overlap there. We don't know exactly how much from those two numbers alone. But... I do wonder the way the staff talked about sample and having plans to get him more involved, despite very clearly already having a plan for CJ Uzama last year. If we'll see a little bit more 12 personnel this year, I'm not talking like league leading by any means, but maybe that number 15% creeps up to 18, 19%. And that comes off of the 11 personnel. And that number gets closer to 70%, especially if they try to go under center a little bit more, do more outside wide zone stuff do more uh, under center play action stuff than we've seen, which I've talked about quite a bit. You would think that with the investment in these guys, you would see more two tight end on the field, but there's this very strong argument on the other end, which is your top three wide receivers are excellent and should be on the field as much as possible together. And I think that's what will end up happening, but I agree with you. I I hope that they do uh, find a way to, one, do a little bit more under center just because I, I think that's going to help Joe Mixon and potentially get him involved and add that element uh, to this offense. And hopefully they can have a consistent run game. But, yeah, I, I think that that's the tough part about investing in tight end. I think that's the part with uh, potentially drafting a Kyle Pitts, which I think it's been well documented. He was third. Uh, in that that realm, if they were going to take one of those three guys, Chase was first, Penny Sewell was second, Pitts third on their board. And it's because, to me, they were going to have to change things a bit, and they're not going to really have to change much here. And you can use Uzama, uh, you, you can use Sample, and you have the three-headed monster at wide receiver, which is going to be your primary weapons. I mean, really outside of some red zone touchdowns, I, I, I don't know. What are you expecting out of this tight end room? Because to me – I think, yeah, they're, they're going to be out there. I think Uzama's going to make some you know decent plays in the passing game, but I'm not expecting either of these guys uh, to crank uh, crack out well, you know, 500-plus yards or anything like that. I think if either of them would, it would be CJ. I think that there's a clear pecking order here, and, and it's CJ then Sample. I think that the Bengals probably see Uzama as a guy that can do everything and probably see Sample as a guy who's athletically limited, but technically sound, good hands. You know, he he can be a safety net. He can be a check down. But people talk about him as if there's some breakout potential there. And I just don't quite see it. I could I could see him being, you know, solid second tight end. Great depth. And, you know, when you've just run all three of your wide receivers, for example, on go routes on first down and you want to give somebody a blow, you can put those guys in. 
on second down and you can run an effective offense with both of those guys on the field. But I do feel like there's a clear pecking order unless Drew Sample takes a step that I'm not foreseeing. And that lets Uzama play out there as the more dynamic athlete, the more dynamic player with the ball in his hands and probably the more featured tight end in the passing game. But that doesn't mean the sample doesn't have value, right? Still a really good blocker and will continue to contribute in that way. And I think we'll be a solid special teamer and they need contributions from some guys on special teams. So uh, certainly a role for both of those guys. And what I'm most excited for is with sample getting that additional exposure last year with the, the ceiling that I think this coaching staff sees with Uzama and the plan that they're going to have for him is even when you have to take one of the wide receivers off the field due to fatigue or whatever it is, you can put that extra tight end out there. And like I said, you can still do plenty. You can do plenty in the play action game. You can do plenty in the running game and and you can still do really a pretty full passing playbook. So there is some versatility that these guys afford the team, even with the addition of Jamar Chase. Coming up next to finish up the show, we revisit a question from last week's mailbag to talk a little bit about salary cap space at this point for the Bengals heading into training camp. We talk about it all the time here on Locked on Bengals. Built Bar is the number one protein bar on the planet. I love them. And you will too. All you got to do is go to BuiltBar.com and check out all nine delicious flavors. And yeah, they have the occasional limited time flavor. But whether it's the peanut butter brownie, the mint brownie, the double chocolate or coconut almond, there's something for everyone. And the best part isn't the fact that they taste amazing or that they're covered in 100% chocolate. It is the macros. High in protein, low in sugar, low in calories. Perfect for you most of the flavors have 17 grams or more of protein so get on it right now go to builtbar.com use promo code lock 15 you're going to get 15 percent off your first order they can help you get back in shape go there now builtbar.com promo code lock 15 you're going to get 15 percent off and you can thank us later built bar is where it's at again check them out at builtbar.com James, a beautiful thing about getting extra questions in our weekly mailbags is that some of them require long form answers and we don't get to them in time and then we can answer them the next week. They give us something to talk about. It lets us know what you guys are wondering about in this very quiet part of the offseason. And this question from Bob Sacramano at Cotton Dockers 9. He's wondering about the current cap situation, how much might be eaten up by Sam Hubbard, Jesse Bates extensions and Given those numbers, would signing both Trey Hendrickson and Carl Lawson have been easily feasible? And this is a very, very complicated question. So let's start with the basics. Currently, according to OverTheCap.com, the Cincinnati Bengals have about $17 million in cap space. That includes the rookies. All of the rookies now accounted for And here. Jamar Chase coming in at a $5.6 million cap number for 2021. And so you think about Carl Lawson's cap number this year, and that eats up most of the remainder there. Most of the remainder, there's still a little bit of money left. And we talked a lot about the way the Bengals structured their deals for free agents this offseason. And the way they did it did not push a ton of money into the future. They kind of 
operated business as usual. We're going to try to keep our future flexibility and put more money into this year for some of these contracts. Not all of the contracts, but they did a lot of year one roster bonus that they didn't need to do. So for example, Chidobe Awuzie, they put $3 million of his bonus into year one roster bonus instead of prorating it over the life of the deal. They could have saved, you know, a million, uh, a million and some change if they had done that deal just slightly differently. Cash flow is the same, but the cap accounting a little bit different. But the Bengals clearly had a preference to manage their cap such that they would maintain their future flexibility. I've argued, James, that this didn't make sense because the cap is going to explode in the very near future. But the Bengals don't seem to be prepared to count on that. And so we're in a situation instead where $17.5 million or so is the Bengals' current cap situation. So could they have done both Hendrickson and Lawson? I think that question is a pretty easy answer, and it's not easily. If they had structured some deals differently, they could have, but I don't think the Bengals had any interest in paying two free agent top market dollars to be pass rushers this year. And I think they did try to get both of them, but I think in the, the difference was is when Lawson made his decision to go to New York, then they're like, all right, we can pay Hendrickson one money <laughs> because Hendrickson wasn't uh, he didn't have a decision made. And I think Malik Wright was the one that said, yeah, he, Trey's going to wait till the morning. And then Lawson made his decision and the Bengals pounced on Hendrickson and made sure uh, they didn't lose out on on both of them. So, yeah, you do wonder that. But I, I do think there had to have been at least talks and discussions. And, you know, there are countless talks and discussions um, during the free agency process, uh, but about trying to keep both of those guys and or keep Lawson and get Hendrickson, because that would make a lot of sense, right? I mean, the idea of having this workhorse type guy like Hendrickson, who, uh, you know, they feel like is versatile and still keeping a guy like Lawson, that'd be great. And, you know, they weren't able to do that. But I agree with you, especially at that number for Hendrickson, you, you know, four years, 60 million, were they going to throw another 40 at, at Carl Lawson. I, I just, I, I don't think so. And I, I think that's why they didn't, they had their max with him and, and it didn't work. And so they were like, all right, let's up the ante on Trey and let's get our guy. Because if we can't get both, we certainly want to make sure we get Hendrickson. Reminiscent of Leon Hall, Jonathan Joseph, Carlos Dunlap, Michael Johnson. They, they give these guys similar offers. And if one, but one guy leaves, they make sure they get the other or, or one guy doesn't take it. In this case, Carl Lawson, they make sure they get the other. I don't think there was really any world where both of those guys ended up Cincinnati. Bengals. Is that something you really think was something this team was looking to do early in free agency? You think they were going to try to get both of them? I think they tried. Absolutely. You, I, you I don't do. Think I it think... was, you don't think it was just contingency plan the way they've always done, where they've got two players they're going after and they offer similar deals and they get one of them done. I, no, I think they would have been open to, to getting both and doing both. I mean, the, it, with the way they spent – now, what that would have cost them, though, is getting a Mike Hilton, right? And so when when that happens, so then that, that instead of drafting Joseph Osai, that's a cornerback. And, and that's kind of how it would have impacted things. So you wouldn't have still – you probably wouldn't have gotten everything you got in free agency had they done that. Right. And their their needs would have been different entering the draft. But I, I do think they were open to that. And it was simply, you know, we didn't get Carl. And again, they didn't get Carl because they weren't willing to move mountains to get him. I, I'm saying that they were willing to try to get both of these guys. But I, I think that of the two, they clearly preferred Hendrickson. 
And that that's why when Carl made the decision easier on him, when they said, hey, I'm going to New York, they're like, OK, we're done. Let's go get Trey. And they got him done. I mean, remember how long that day was <laughs> the the first day? And it's like, man, are the Bengals going to do anything? And then Carl Lawson signs with the Jets. And it's like all these offensive linemen are off the table. Lawson's gone. And within the hour, Hendrickson becomes a Cincinnati Bengal. And I think that's because they they really, 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 really liked him. And there was a scenario in their minds, at least, where they could try to get both. Well, we did record five podcasts that day I think if that tells you anything about how long the day was going from <laughs> you know well they're not doing anything to oh Carl Lawson's gone to okay they signed Trey Hendrickson I find it interesting you mentioned workhorse with Trey Hendrickson because I think that is very much what the team thinks I think they think they've got a guy who is Sam Hubbard plus pass rushing juice mm-hmm. uh, I think that it's really interesting though to think about what uh, I've said the word think 10 times in the last five minutes forgive me it's 90 degrees where I'm sitting recording this and I've got a fan softly blowing on me so you guys don't hear it. But the Paul Daner piece today, he did a mailbag. He talks about asking guys to do new things on the defensive line. Larry Ogunjobi, I mistakenly thought that he was primarily a three tech for Cleveland. Turns out that he's been playing a lot of nose for them, especially lately. Played some three three tech still, but the Bengals want him to go back and be a pure three tech. And he very much has a build for it, I think. And the way he models his game after Geno Atkins could work out really well, but not necessarily what he was asked to do in Cleveland. Meanwhile, Trey Hendrickson's coming in and the Saints tried to hide him, right, from the the run game to some extent. They did not play him. He played less snaps than Carl Lawson last year. And now he's getting pitched as a guy who's going to move around, who's going to kick inside, who's going to drop into coverage, who's going to be an every down guy, who's going to be a plus run defender, who's ascending. And and that's a lot. But this all started with the salary cap question. So let's talk a little bit about what these extensions might look like. I expect that the Bengals will do roughly what they always do. And they'll float, you know, a small percentage of their cap. They'll roll over some money, maybe less than previous years, because they are spending more on the cap on free agents. Their three unrestricted free agents make up their top three cap hits in Trey Wayne's at 15.8 million, DJ Reader at 13.5 million, and Trey Hendrickson at 12.5 million. So might see them roll over a little bit less money, but I still think that they will put money in the current year. They will use those year one roster bonuses for Jesse Bates and for Sam Hubbard if they get both of those extensions done. Certainly the priority needs to be Jesse Bates, and I think it is. But you'll see those cap numbers go up a little bit this year to reduce the overall cap hits in the future on those two deals and afford them future flexibility. So I do think that we'll see probably another $9 million, $10 million, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less in cap spend this year. And then maybe a couple other minor moves to go along with that. But given that, the way that they've done these deals and the way that they're likely to do these extensions, there wasn't enough money to do everything. So if they had done, James, if you're right, and they had managed to sign Hendrickson and Lawson, they would have had to have done some other deals a little bit differently to free up some cap money this year, most likely, or done their deals differently to push that cap obligation out into the future and done some fancy accounting. But as it is, they will do what they always do, essentially, in terms of percentages, I think. I think they'll be very close to modus operandi in terms of carryover cap space. And at this stage of the game, I'm fine with it because now I'm thinking about 2022. And if this team is where I think we 
think is probably the most realistic path at the end of the 2021 season. We're going to say, okay, they really need this. And there's going to be one or two key weaknesses that they're going to have to go out and address. And they should have the money to do that. And so, yeah, adding a little bit of a, a roster bonus, taking that hit now versus later at this stage, I'm okay with it. At the time, though, when they could have went out and got this or that, this or that, like we talked with Lance earlier this week, you know, they could have gotten another lineman and and just done it, like you said, with the accounting and uh, moving things around. And But they didn't. And so now Jesse Bates, Sam Hubbard, if they're going to extend them, yeah, get that out of the way now so next year they have even more space to work with. Because last I looked, they have around $50 million in 2022 cap space. It should go up uh, depending on what that the cap number is officially at. Um, but, yeah, they're going to be competitive and they're going to have money to spend for sure. They'll have plenty of space next year. And I don't think they have any mega extensions they're going to have to worry about. They do certainly have some guys that are scheduled to become free agents. Riley Reef, if they want to bring him back, would be a guy who they would need to give some money to. Larry Ogunjobi is only on a one-year deal. CJ Uzama is on the last year of his deal. Uh, Josh Tupau, my favorite Bengal ever is no, I'm just kidding, but, but really good player. Uh, also just on a one-year deal, his, his deal from last year gets pushed into this year because of the COVID opt out. Mike Daniels, a free agent. So some minor guys, but as I'm looking at this list, there's nobody that's like a breakout late round pick. Who's going to cost an arm and a leg more there. There isn't anybody like that coming up next year. Quentin Spain, another guy one-year deal this year who they might want to bring back next year if he's good this year. So that's the situation looking forward. Obviously, Jesse Bates and Sam Hubbard, their cap numbers do go up next year, no matter how much money you put in the current year with that year one roster bonus. But regardless of all that, the Bengals are in a very fine place from a cap perspective. They can still make a couple minor moves if they want to. They have a lot of flexibility at this point to go in a number of directions if they so choose. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The next episode will feature one of you joining James and I for a full segment of the weekend mailbag. Make sure you're available at one o'clock. This is changing one o'clock Eastern time on Thursday, one o'clock PM. And we'll get you full instructions for how you can throw your name in the hat to come on and record with James and I this Thursday at 1 PM for this week's weekend mailbag on social media on Wednesday. So go look for that. Get your iTunes account ready. That'll give you an extra shot. And until next time, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one.